0: Addicts in the Dark is presented by Simply Sober, empowering recovery through apparel and support. Visit simplysober.biz. It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick.
1: Simply Sober offers a variety of products to support recovery and a healthy lifestyle, including books, workshops, recovery journals, sobriety chips, apparel, and more. Go to simplysober.biz. So yesterday was uh, National Wine Day. And by now, I'm sure you know how I feel about shit like this. Why is it that alcohol is socially accepted, but other drugs are not? Is it because alcohol is less dangerous or less addictive than other drugs? That's not true if you look at the facts. According to the World Health Organization, alcohol is actually responsible for 3 million deaths each year, making it one of the leading causes of preventable deaths in the world. And I have nothing against alcohol in particular, but the bottom line is is that all drugs have the potential to cause harm. And that includes alcohol. I think it's important to think about that when we talk about substance use in general. Anyways, cheers to that. Caller 30 and their story about addiction. Addicts in the dark. Hey, can you hear me? I can. Okay. So, lately, other callers have gotten a little loose on the location thing. So, I mean, whatever you're willing to reveal, but don't get too specific in terms of location. Right. But absolutely no names in an hour at most. Right. Well, if you're ready, tell me your story about addiction.
0: Okay. So, I think I should probably start when I first started drinking, uh, which was when I was 17. My family had kind of. Fallen apart. That's a whole circus. A whole nother story for a different day. But I had gone over to a friend's house. We got into the parents' liquor cabinet. I think we mixed vodka with uh, icy pops. Like melted those like icy pop sticks into into a drink and um, got my first taste of alcohol and realized immediately that you know I was able to forget about problems, um, just in general, numbing emotions. And so right away, I loved alcohol and wanted to, I wanted to be drinking every weekend. I was in high school, I was 17, so um, I would find ways to get my friends to drink every weekend, um, and this was in Wisconsin, but um, the culture there is, there is a lot of drinking. So a lot of people my age at that time were also drinking um You know, if anyone else, uh, any listeners from Wisconsin, they would probably uh, agree that it's it's a big part of culture. So anyways, uh, I was looking for any excuse to drink every weekend so that during high school, I was drinking, um, going to parties. And then during the week I was drinking after school, I would leave school early to go over to a friend's uh, to drink. We start. I started skipping school to drink, all of that. That kind of goes on. And then um, when I'm 19, I get a DUI. Um, I, I would drive drunk all the time. And obviously I'm not proud of any of this. This is just, this is the story of what happened. Um, my friends and I would drive drunk all the time. We just felt, I, we must've felt we were invincible. I don't know. So I get an, uh, I get a DUI and, um, my car gets taken away. They take me to, you know, the, the station or whatever. I have to call my mom to come pick me up at three in the morning. So that, that scares me at the time. Only for like a day because I'm drinking and driving again a couple days later. And I'm with a friend. I was out of high school, but this friend of mine, he was... uh, was Hold
1: up, hold up. So you already said that drinking is ingrained in the culture in Wisconsin.
0: Right. So ingrained
1: evidently that you can get a DUI and be driving legally the next day.
0: (sighs) Yeah, yeah. The... Laws for Wisconsin, it's its a misdemeanor, I think, up to four times. Um, it's not a felony until I think your fifth time, um, which in most states in the United States, it's a felony right away. Or, you know, it, it's a big charge. It's, it's, it's not in Wisconsin. And so, you know, two days later, driving with a buddy out in the middle of nowhere, we were going to go to a nature trail to just park and drink. And I am drunk and I drive my car into a ditch. And so the same guy, this is in a small town, the same guy who had to tow my car from the OWI, he has to come and get my car again. And a police officer had pulled up. We hadn't called the tow truck or anything. Um, someone must have, I don't know if someone called and said the car's in a ditch. Police officer shows up and I'm like, well, I'm fucked. You know, um, I just got an OWI. Now I'm going to get another one. Uh, But I tell him, you know, a deer ran across the road, I hit the brakes, we went into the ditch. And uh, I I still wonder about that day because they didn't breathalyze me. The tow truck guy, he knew that I just had a DUI. For whatever reason, the cop put us in the back of the car and drove us to back to town and uh, we just, you know, let us go and it was no big deal. But then when I went to pick up the, my car from the tow place, he pulled me aside and said, look at all these cars I have. These are from all the drunk drivers in the area. They're wrecked cars. Um, this, this driver flipped their car. And so he knew that I had been drunk the second time. I don't know. I mean, crazy situation. So that just kept going. Um, then my mom put a lock on my car so that I wouldn't be able to drive it, one of those like anti-theft cars. Um, because She was afraid for my life and for other people's lives um, and the safety of, you know, anyone on the road while I was driving. And I was just determined to keep drinking. Um, I don't think I had a death wish necessarily at the time, but it um, it kept going. And I there was never a time where I was drinking where the point wasn't to black out. So it just, it kept going. And um uh, you know, then I'm, I'm in my 20s. I'm living in my small hometown, which is just like a farm town, factory town where everyone's either a construction worker. Not that there's anything wrong with this. There's just no, um, nobody leaves this town is what I'm saying. And so I'm stuck in this town just drinking my days away. And my 20s kind of passed me by. And I don't know, one day I wake up and I'm 26. And I've been in a relationship with this girl for 10 years, actually. So we had dated in high school. So from 16 to 26, she also had alcohol problems. That's why we were able to stay together, probably. And uh, wake up, I'm 26. I'm drinking every single day. I've gained a lot of weight. I'm miserable. I'm in therapy for depression and, you know, anxiety and all of that. I, I worked at a school for, like, as a uh, special ed aide. And I was working with uh, children with autism, like helping them get to class and and this and that. And I would come in, I would have gotten hammered the night before and come in just absolutely exhausted and hungover. I knew it wasn't acceptable, but I just, you know, I think I was able to make up reasons like in my head, like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm in my 20s and whatever. I went out drinking last night, no big deal. But looking back, it's pretty sad and pretty pathetic.
1: I get the sense that... The drinking and driving thing. This wasn't drinking and driving as much as it was drinking to drive. Like driving while drunk was the activity.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Drinking while driving was the activity. Um,
1: was that a different type of exhilaration than that of just being drunk or driving a car fast? Was it? it,
0: it that, there was nowhere. There was nowhere to go to drink. There was no nothing to do in this town. Um, you know, we'd go to Walmart to hang out. That's that's all there was. So, what we would do is we would want to get we would want to party or get drunk. There was nowhere to go. We would just have a party in the car, basically, and just be driving around this town, drinking and driving as the party, which is horrifying. And I and I know that.
1: And in those moments, were you recognizing? the risks and the dangers posed to yourself and other people?
0: No, not at all. I mean, this was happening, you know, 17 to, you know, I got the DUI at 19. I'm now 34. But at the time, no, I didn't didn't realize the danger uh, for myself, for everyone else on the road, for the passengers in the car when I was driving. It didn't even cross my mind. Reckless, didn't care, didn't, really selfish. Just wanted to black out by any means necessary. Now in the timeline, I'm about 25, 26. I'm living with um, someone I've been dating for 10 years. Um, We had moved to the closest city. You know, it's a very small Midwestern city. Like I said, I was going to my job, incredibly hungover, um, just sitting there watching the clock until 3.30 when the school would be let out so that I could go home and drink again. So eventually I was so miserable, got into therapy, and then I decided to leave uh, that relationship and leave that uh, living situation we were living together. And I moved back to my hometown, the small little farm town. And I'd gotten sober then for 60 days, maybe 90 days. And the reason was I wanted to lose weight and start feeling good about myself and like really show my ex-girlfriend at the time that I'm turning my life around right after, you know, we break up. So then I call one of my buddies, one of my old drinking buddies uh, from college. He would always black out with me and like, you know, I I was always wanting to hang out with people who wouldn't judge me for blacking out and who also wanted to black out themselves. So call, call him up. And I'm like, Oh, let's, I'm going to come to, uh, town and let's you know let's get fucked up. I show up and we start drinking uh, at his place and then we go out to the bar and I'm taking shots of rumplements which uh is a I think it's like a hundred proof I don't know it's it's a little bit higher in uh alcohol content so that's why I would always go with that. But anyways I, I black out at the bar of course and we're both supposed to be going back to his place to sleep. And I don't know what happens But apparently I walked all across town. This is in the middle of dead, dead of winter in Wisconsin, freezing out. And at probably three in the morning, four in the morning, I'm knocking on someone's door in the suburb part of the town. So not even like the college area where it would just be other college kids or whatever. This is like families, I'm knocking on their door, like pounding on their door, trying to get inside. And I I kind of wake up as I'm doing it. And then I, I go, I look, I'm looking at the door and I'm like thinking that it's my parents' house, that it's there, I'm at home trying to get into my parents' house. And obviously I'm not, you know, I'm just like delirious. So a guy comes out and he's like, what are you doing? Um, he, it was actually, it was a duplex. And I was knocking on one side of the duplex and the neighbor of the connecting apartment or house um, comes out because he heard me knocking on his neighbor's door. So he's like, what are you doing? You're, you know, you've been pounding for so long. It's three in the morning. Do you even know who lives here? And I was shocked. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, why is he coming out of my parents' house? And he went back inside and then I try to go to the, they had like a van parked outside. And I remember trying to get into their van to sleep to get out of the cold. Cause I suddenly realized how freezing cold I am can't get into their van. So then I go to his side of that, that duplex, his house. And I start knocking on his door to try and get inside. Cause I'm so cold. So, you know, they call the cops obviously. And uh, yeah, I see a cop pull up and uh, this is like five in the morning or so and I just you know I walk just walk right to the cop car and get in the back and I'm like all right let's you know let's do this whatever take me down to the station whatever we got to do.
1: In related news in Wisconsin you have to beg them to take you to jail you're like take me to jail before I freeze my ass off.
0: Yeah exactly so I go to the station and they just have me sit in like the waiting room area And I'm looking down and there's a huge puddle of water underneath me from just snow and ice melting off of me, off of my jeans. Um, Have to call my mom again. You know, I'm like 26 or whatever. Have to call my mom, have her come pick me up, you know, ride home in shame. I'm still wasted. So nothing really scared me into not drinking. You know, I I just, that didn't stop me from drinking. I kept drinking after that. Um, I... Moved to another town in Wisconsin, and uh, drinking continues. I enroll in school for the fourth time uh, in college. I kept going to school and dropping out, going to school, dropping out, going to school, dropping out, basically due to drinking and depression. And then, you know, i drop out of school, and then I'd be like, oh, I got to get my shit together. I'm going to get it together this time. And I'd reapply. I don't know how I kept getting into school. And then I would go for a semester, and like within a month, I would I would be not going to class, depressed, laying in bed, drinking. So I applied to go back to school like for the fourth time, and uh, it's a tech school in Wisconsin. So I figured that would be easy enough for me to. I thought it would be easier for me to to like pass the classes, but if you're not going to class and you're just drinking every day, it's not going to be easy. So fail out again that semester, and then decide i'm going to go to another college town and go to school at this other college so i kind of just transfer to this other school and i think okay this is it this is my fifth time like i gotta do this i'm going to do this and i move into this shitty apartment i'm i don't know i'm like 28 at this time it's like dilapidated you know it's just like in the college area of town where you know, it's acceptable for a poor 19-year-old going to college to live in. Uh, it, it's pro- it's probably like, you know, $300 a month maybe. I had these two other roommates who I met right before I signed the lease. And I, I really acted like I had my shit together and I was going back to school and all this um, so that they would be okay with me moving in. And, of course, I stop going to class, and I'm just drinking every day, and I really spiral then, and um, that's when it starts becoming contemplating suicide, and how am I going to do it, and how is it going to be, uh, how can I do it without traumatizing someone who would find me, and just that kind of, you know, what's the least painful way to do it, and so I'm having those thoughts every time I go to sleep, It's all I can think about. It was the only way I could go to sleep was to think about it was comforting to think about suicide and to think, OK, this is going to end soon. So I decide that I'm going to drink myself to death because I'm, you know, I practically have almost drank myself to death a hundred times. So I thought I'll just really set out to do it. Uh, and I remember the first time I don't know how or why I had this bottle of alcohol. It was like a jalapeno vodka I don't know, it was the only alcohol in the house, so I just decided I was gonna chug this, and I remember sitting on my bathroom floor, and I was just gonna chug this bottle of jalapeno vodka, which was disgusting, and so I did. And the the next thing I know, I'm waking up in the hospital, and I have no idea how I got there. I don't know how, I'm assuming I must have left and walked somewhere. And someone saw me stumbling. They took me to the hospital. I have no idea. Um, I wake up. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, shit, I'm in the hospital. No one was in the room. So I just get up and walk out of the room and then walk out of the hospital. And I walk home. And I just go home, start drinking, pretend it didn't happen. then New Year's comes around. And New Year- I didn't intend to... I wasn't trying to kill myself on New Year's Eve, but I go out with friends, freezing cold, of course, in Wisconsin, and going out with the friends. Next thing I know, I'm waking up. It's probably 6 a.m. I'm in a hotel in a big conference room by myself alone and no coat or anything. And I'm stumbling around and I'm walking around and I couldn't find the exit of this the hotel. There was nobody around. I'm just lost. I look down, there's blood all over my sweater. Just, I'm just covered in blood. And so I leave the, the hotel. Finally, I get out and I, I'm thinking, it's freezing cold. And second thing I'm thinking is I need to go get a Bloody Mary. And so I start walking. I figure out where I am, start walking into town, like towards where my shitty house would be. And I'm like, I know there's like a diner on the way. And so I'll try to go to this diner and get a Bloody Mary. And I get up to the diner and I see my reflection in the uh, in the door, the glass door. And my face is just completely covered in blood. And so I, you know, feel my face and I have this huge cut on my forehead. And I could feel it just, you know, this open wound. And so I'm like, oh, shit. My thought wasn't like I need to get home or I need to get to the hospital because i need to take care of myself my thought was like i need they're not gonna let me in to get a bloody mary if i look like this so i need to go home and clean up so that then i can come back and uh get a bloody mary because that was what my mind was set on so uh yeah i go home and i i think at that point i decided to just stay stay there and drink because i didn't go back to the diner but um then I had some horrifying scars on my face, uh, really, really bad. My whole face was scabbed up. And so I called my boss, or I texted my boss, and I said, hey, I can't, I can't come in today because I have these horrifying, my face is cut wide open. She was like, you need to come in and work anyways. So I was like, okay, you asked for it. So I come in looking like a monster. Customers were terrified and asking me questions and I came up with this story that, oh, I w- went sledding and I was going down the hill and I, as I jumped onto my sled, I I slammed my forehead into a patch of ice and it just cut me wide open, but no big deal. Like it was just a, you know, a little mistake. So I kept having to retell that story and I was horrified that I was going to have these scars my whole life. And so like I said, all of, there's all of these crazy things that keep happening. The DUIs, the suicide attempts, waking up in the hotel. I mean, it just keeps going and going and going. But then after the hotel, that really, I was like, all right, so that's it. Like, I'm really going to die either intentionally or unintentionally. Because I have no idea how I got to that hotel. I have no idea why my face was caught up. Maybe someone beat me up. I truly have no clue. So then I thought, all right, I should do it myself because either way I'm going to die. So... I'll try again. So I tried again by drinking myself to death. And again, I woke up in the hospital and I wake up and this psychiatrist is by my bed. And I realize I've like been talking to her. She's talking to me. She's asking me questions like, were you trying to hurt yourself? This and that. And I remember kind of being rude to her and then saying to her, like, I'm sorry, I I, I think I've been rude to you. I, I, I didn't mean to be rude. Like, where am I? Um, and she wasn't happy with me. And I, I, I don't know, she laughed and I know a nurse came in and I asked her like where I was, what was happening. And I said I had to throw up. And she said, there's a toilet over there and made a joke like, yeah, I'm sure you're not feeling great today and was kind of laughing at me. And I go to the toilet, I throw up. And so again, once the nurse left, I just snuck out of the hospital. I didn't have my shoes. I had these hospital socks on with, like, the grippy tapes underneath. I didn't have my phone. I didn't have my keys. Uh, So I'm wandering home in the cold at, like, 7 in the morning. I had to crawl in through a window. And, uh, yeah, as far as that night goes, I know that my, my door, my front door had a glass window above the handle, and that was shattered. And so I don't know if I broke it or if someone... Broke it to get in for some reason. I have no idea. I don't know if the police came and put me in an ambulance. I have no idea. I never paid the hospital bill. I never talked to them again. And I never, yeah, I never contacted the hospital. So then that was probably five years ago now. So after that, uh, once you've kind of decided that you're going to kill yourself and you survive, I think it kind of made me feel like. I could do anything right now because I'm supposed to be dead. So I kind of was able to like let go of all these things of like giving a shit what anyone thought about me or what I was doing, or I'm supposed to be going back to school and finishing a degree. So I just kind of let go of everything. And I applied at this, uh, summer camp on the East coast. And I just decided like, fuck it. I'm getting out of Wisconsin. I'm never living here again. You know, I, I'll probably just drive around the United States with the tiny bit of money that I have and live for about six months, and then I'll finally end my life. But these six months, I can just do whatever I want because I was supposed to die already, but I'm I'm kind of on borrowed time, so fuck it. I can do whatever I want. Nothing can hurt me. So I go to this summer camp, um, and I'm 28 at this time, 29, and nobody in my life, like... From that point up until recently, knew that I had gone through all of that, and so I go to the summer camp and I kind of just act like I'm this normal person, and uh, I make a lot of friends and it was great, um, and it was a great experience. I met people from. There's a lot of international people working at the uh, the camp, um, and then someone tells me they had gotten a job at a sales company, and they were like, "Hey, you don't have a real job after the camp. Why don't you work at this sales company that I work at, which is a big well-known brand name. And I'm like, I don't have a degree. I've dropped out a million times, blah, blah, blah. That would never work. So I, you know, I declined that offer for him to refer me and get me an interview at this place. So then I go to a festival out in California and uh, it's called Lucidity. And it's, so it's kind of like a small, like a micro Burning Man, if you've ever heard of Burning Man. And it was amazing. The people there are all very accepting and it's very like hippie, you know, it's, yeah, like I said, it's like Burning Man. So that was, I tried um, mushrooms and LSD and MDMA for the first time. And so my, my life just like, my mind just was blown open, especially with the MDMA because I felt happy and cause that's what it does, you know? And so I'm walking around this festival and like, I'm, I'm meeting all these new people and I'm, I'm on MDMA, and I'm like, holy shit, is this what like, is this what people feel when they feel happy? Oh my God, this is amazing. This is the best I've ever felt. And I have all these great experiences, but after the festival, I kind of think to myself, I wonder if I can live my life feeling that way but without having to take the MDMA. It would be nice to be able to feel that way without having to take the drugs because it might be, you know, destroying my brain. So that's kind of my thought. But anyways, uh, then I move out to Washington for a little bit where I live with these hippies in this yurt. I don't know if you know what a yurt is. Yeah,
1: I'm actually sitting, let's say, two stone throws away from Bellingham and their yurts.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, great. Out in the outskirt of Bellingham, there was this property, and these hippie women lived there. And I, they had this shed out in their front lawn, which was a yurt. And um, so it's just like this little cot. And, I mean, the door, you had to practically crawl to get through the door, and had this tiny little cot in there. Um, and I was supposed to be paying them $250 a month to, to be staying there, but I had no money. Anyways, couldn't pay them. So then I leave out of nowhere. I just kind of like up and leave. I call up my friend and I'm like, hey, you know, you mentioned that sales job. I, I'm really out of options here. I guess, I, you know, I might as well try to get this job. I never made a resume. I have nothing to put on my resume except for working at Pizza Hut and this other stupid restaurant. <laughs> and, so, um, and also the special, the special admin. It, it had nothing to do with sales. So whatever. I make a resume. I get the interview. And I get the job, but they're like, "You have to move down to Scottsdale, Arizona, and you have to work in the office there." So I'm like, "Okay, great." I pack up my car and I scrape together the change. I scrape together like every dime I have, and I just drive down to to Arizona. You know, I got a new lease. It was a month-to-month lease, and uh, so then I start working at this place, and I feel like, okay, this is my last chance to make it in life. Um, But more than likely, what's going to happen is I'm going to work here. They have a New York office, so I'll try to transfer to the New York office after six months. I'll live in New York for a few months, and then I'll be able to end my life once I've like, you know, I had this really romanticized idea about New York. So drinking becomes a huge problem again in Phoenix with this job. Uh, The culture in sales is a lot of drinking. It gets really bad, but then I do really well at the job. And they offered to move me out to the Washington, D.C. office. So I said, great. They moved me out to the Washington, D.C. office. I show up. I don't have, again, I don't have any money because I spent it all on alcohol. And I don't have anywhere to live in D.C. either. So I only have my last paycheck that I received. So I get an Airbnb for two weeks. While I'm trying to find an apartment, I find out that my credit score is in the 300s. And the reason is, while I was in Phoenix, my car had gotten repossessed because I wasn't paying for the car. So my car got repossessed, my credit tanked, so now I can't get an apartment at all in D.C. So now I'm like, oh, God, I'm looking for places. I'm walking around the office that I'm supposed to be working at, and I'm looking for places where I could sleep if I end up being homeless. And I make a profile on a a roommate app called Roomie saying like, hey, I'm new to D.C., looking for a roommate, and this lawyer contacts me because he has a room in his condo. It's this beautiful condo, like the most beautiful condo I've ever seen. And it's super expensive. And so he reached out, he's like, hey, you know, I saw your profile, I think you'd be a perfect fit. I'm like, oh, you know, your place is great, but I can't afford to live there. And he's like, well, let's go out and get a beer. And if we, you know, if we connect, then maybe I can, we can talk about negotiating the price for the room. The next day he texts me like, Hey, you know, I'd be willing to come down in the price, whatever. I signed the lease. He doesn't have to check my credit or he he didn't check my credit. So I was able to live in this beautiful uh, condo. So then things get really bad though. I keep drinking a lot. Um, Drinking at this sales company is huge, going out to brunch. Um, But then 2020 hits, people are working from home. I'm working from home. And I start drinking alone in my room a lot. I'm sure other people experience the same thing. And that's when things really start to spiral. Uh, Well, actually, right before the pandemic, I went out to this bar near my condo at the time. uh, And I'm sitting there by myself drinking. And this guy sits next to me. And I offer to buy him a shot of whiskey because I just desperately want to talk to someone. So I, I buy him a shot of whiskey. He was like, wow, that was so nice of you. I don't even know you here let me give you this present so he gives me a free bag of cocaine and he's like this is my name here's my phone number hit me up anytime you want more right now this one's free and i'm you know he knew like i'm gonna be calling him again to pay for it obviously so i took it i'd never done done cocaine and i said great yeah i went home and uh tried it and then you know within i don't know a week or two later i'm calling him for more turns into We go into 2020, I'm working from home. They start getting Molly. So I start doing Molly all the time. And eventually that goes on until December of 2020. And I think, well, here I am again, I'm gonna die again. So then I say, all right, I'm 32 years old at the time. You know, here I am about to die again from drugs and alcohol. Why don't I try and go home for a little bit and I'll spend time with my family. And, you know, if I end up dying, I end up dying. Um, but at least I'll spend this time with my family, and I won't drink while I'm there, and I'll be just be sober. So while I go there, back to Wisconsin, I'm, I go back to my mom's house. I'm literally living in her closet because there was nowhere else to stay. I'm 32 years old, I had to move back to my mom's, staying in the closet, and I get sober. And uh, I go to the doctor, and I tell her about you know the depression issues and all of this, and she said, "Oh, this really sounds like bipolar disorder." Um, here's medication for mood swings and depression, and so I start taking that and a couple months goes by um, and I just i my life completely changed and uh i was in I started therapy over video chat, and I was able to come out of it, and my life completely changed with the medication because I was able to think clearly um I wasn't swinging back and forth between these erratic behaviors and horrifying depression. Things really turned around for me from there, and I, uh, I met my now wife. We were working at that same sales company. We were put on the same team and we were, during the pandemic, and we would talk every day over video chat. I, moved, I went back to Wisconsin. She was still here in D.C., and we just spent all day on, on video chat talking originally about work but then about life. And we fell in love over Google Hangouts. Now we, uh, we just got married a few months ago. Uh, I moved back to D.C. Uh, we're thinking about where we're going to buy a house. We're talking about having our first kid. Uh, we got a dog. Um, I work at a better company now. Um, I make significantly more money than I ever thought was possible for me. Um, and I'm only saying that to kind of show the difference between where I was just a couple years ago, literally like looking around for where could I sleep if I'm homeless? to now where um things really fell into place for me
1: activate your true self by disarming your inner critic with melissa armstrong coaching go to strongarm.ca for more so what was it about going home for what you thought would be that final time what was that pivotal difference
0: i think i told myself okay well i should spend time with my family before i die so i'll spend it sober And I think I, you know, I thought I'll stay there a month or however long. And then I was able to, you know, I was sober long enough. But right away when I moved home, I had gone to the doctor. And I think knowing that once I was diagnosed as bipolar, it was like, oh, there's a reason for this. And looking back at all the behaviors and swinging back and forth between depression and what manic episodes, It just made so much sense, and so I think I thought, okay, well, you know, I'd been sober for a month or however long. Maybe I'll I'll give this a try, staying sober but also doing the medication, and you know, see what happens. And then by two months, I was like, wow. I mean, I didn't know that life felt this way. Um, It's really a shame that I had never gone to the doctor before. I didn't have to be living the way I'd been living for so long. And then then I was able to actually face the emotional traumas that I had in my past um, and actually deal with them and realize them um, instead of self-medicating through blacking out like I was doing since I was 17. Um, I didn't go to AA or anything. I just thought I'll do this for my family. And then it's kind of one step in front of the other. Um, You know, I just don't think there's one cure all answer for someone. I think everyone has to look within themselves and want it for themselves. Um, But it's, it's possible. It is, it's possible, I know that it's possible. Um, And life can be really great, sober. Life can be really great.
1: In that phone call, we discussed the ways that addiction can impair judgment and lead to irrational decisions. When struggling with addiction, individuals often have a distorted sense of themselves and their surroundings. Impacting the choices they make both big and small. That in turn creates an element of powerlessness, leading to dangerous behavior that not only harms oneself, but others as well. Recognizing these dangers and acknowledging addiction as the underlying problem is the first step towards recovery. Remember, addiction is not a choice, but recovery is. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. Addicts in the Dark is brought to you in part by Melissa Armstrong Coaching. Check out Melissa Armstrong at www.strongarm.ca. That's www.strongarm.ca.